2020 is almost over. The calendar is about to flip. Just hang in there, folks. We can get through this. Welcome into another edition of the Hops and Spirits Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Green. Great episode for you this week. We go Hops, Spirits. Uh, it's a fun one. Uh, I hope you will enjoy it because I learned a lot of stuff this week. Um, also want to thank everyone who participated in our Things We Love holiday giveaway, uh, which chances to win a Pies and Pints gift card, a gish pack, beer carriers, and Chattanooga Whiskey Cask 111 bottle and uh, whiskey glasses. So thank you for, to who all participated in that. Um, winners will be announced depending on when you're listening, uh, either tomorrow, Friday morning, or it's already up on our Instagram page. And remember, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Hop Spirits, all one word. But let's get into our episode. And joining us here is Mark Wilson, brewmaster of Abita Brewing out of Louisiana. Mark, thanks for taking some time to talk beer and a few other things with us today. No problem. Happy to be here. Now, for, for a nice icebreaker, I, I figured I'd ask you this because I know you've been in the beer business for a while. What would you be doing if you weren't working as a brewer? Oh, God. <laughs> I have not really <laughs> thought about that. Um, uh, after I graduated from college, I was a political consultant for a couple of years. And uh, the only thing I know is that I would not be doing that. <laughs> There you go. There you go. But now you have been at Abita since I, I think I read in 1995. Were you a trainee back then? Is that how you kind of got your foot in the door with them? Yes. Um, um, just like I said, I had a job that I wasn't happy with. And um, uh, and so I started as a brewer trainee. And, and in 1995, that meant cleaning kegs by hand and Ooh. doing every uh, job uh that was at the brewery. And at that time, the brewery is only about 25 uh, to 30,000 barrels a year. And so you just kind of worked your way up and did every task uh, that was available from uh, from start to finish of the product. And then when were you, uh, I guess, I'm, now that you're brewmaster, I'm guessing you worked your, your way up over the years. Uh, what, what was kind of the next step after, you know, being the trainer and getting you into the brewmaster? How did you uh, create that arc there. Well, I just, I worked as, uh, as a, and once I was done with my training program, I was, uh, a brewer and, uh, then I was a brewing supervisor and head brewer. And in 2003, uh, the company sent me to the world brewing Academy. And, uh, that was the, that's now an established program, but it was, uh, a, an agreement between the Siebel Institute, which is in Chicago, and Doman's Academy, which is in um, Munich, Germany. And it was a diploma course in brewing technology and brewing science. And I went to that class and uh, graduated from there. And then when I came back in 2004, shortly after, I was named brewmaster and production manager. And at the time, we were doing about, at that time, we were doing about 40,000 barrels a year. Um, and, uh, and then over the years, um, you know, we've grown a lot. So <laughs> just a little bit, and we'll, we'll touch on that here in a second, but Abita was founded in 1986. You've kind of almost been with them for, you know, the, the majority of, of their, their life. Uh, they were born in Abita Springs, Louisiana. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how, how Abita was founded and, and how they've, cause I know they started out in a little smaller spot. Now you guys are in a little bit of a bigger spot. Yeah, I mean, it was it was founded in a it's a beat of beer because of a beat of springs, uh, Louisiana. It's a natural spring water. It is uh, 
all of our, our all of our water comes from artesian wells that are on the property and it's perfect for brewing especially lager beers and the idea at the founding was to brew beers and we were one of the first craft breweries in the country and definitely the first one in louisiana in the south and uh, was to brew beers that complement the culture and cuisine of southeast louisiana and that's what our beers do. And we've continued with that throughout our, you know, we're coming up on our 35th anniversary. And, and what's it like working for, you know, one of the largest independent breweries these days? Because, I mean, you guys, like you said, you started in 86. You, you've gone to a bigger facility. You know, you're, you're doing a whole lot more than 40,000 barrels uh, of beer, <laughs> beer these days. Um, what, what's it like working at, at a place like Abita? It's great. I mean, we're still, I mean, we have grown, uh, but we're still a small company and uh, the reach in the community. Yeah, we've moved to a larger facility, but it's just down the road. Uh, it's not far. And um, uh, yeah, it's, it's just been uh, great that we continue the same culture and ethos where we're brewing beers for the people of Southeast Louisiana. And we're, and when we're distributing to other states, we're trying to export that culture and, and, uh, and that beer. Well, I've really enjoyed all the different beers that I've been able to, to try over the years. I think the first time I, I saw you guys at the store, at least you know, kind of recognized it, was about two or three years ago, and I had the amber, and it was just a, a, a nice beer to have, and, and I can see why you guys do lagers uh, so well. Um, but you, you, you've been with them since 95. What's been the biggest change in this industry, or how many times has this industry changed while you've been there? It's it's changed more times than I can count. <laughs> I mean, when uh, I mean that there was growth in '95, in in kind of the late '90s, there was an explosion of craft brewers, uh, and a lot of those breweries were, you know, it was, it was people who were kind of quick buck artists and. Um, uh, did not make quality beer and the market corrected itself and a lot of breweries closed and uh, the name of craft beer kind of took a hit. And so you can kind of see from the 90s uh, till about the mid 2000s, there really, you know, there wasn't any growth in, in craft beer. Um, but we were one of the breweries that, that you know, and there's lots of other breweries or too many to name that really did a good job. And we kind of you know, weathered that storm and then have seen explosive growth since then. And um, really from, you know, the mid nineties to the, you know, like 2003, 2004, you know, we just made our core brands, nothing really changed. We made three or four um, uh, flagship brands that were available year round. And then we had a seasonal beer that was always on tap and that, that was it. Um, and really in the mid 2000s, we started, um, you know, we started adding new brands and we probably would add maybe one a year. And then we got to, you know, we started doing a lot of beers, which at the time we called our harvest line of beers that we made beers with locally harvested uh, um produce. So we, we still, one of our biggest sellers now is a strawberry lager and, you know, we use all uh, locally harvested strawberry juice for that uh, beer. And yeah, we were adding one or two brands a year because that's what the market demanded. And then we started doing 22 ounce bottles, bourbon barrel aged beers, and it was three or four new brands a year. And then all this rotation. And, you know, at some, at 
there were some points a couple of years ago where we had we, we produced over 40 different varieties of beers that were packaged either in bottles, cans, or, or draft uh, that were available. And, you know, in 2003, you know, we did four flagship beers and five seasonals. Uh, that was it. And so you've just seen that really explosive growth. And that's kind of what the consumer demands is something new. And, and they're always looking for the next thing. And, uh, and they just want variety. So uh, I was gonna say, how difficult is it to keep that variety going, but also do a good job with it? You, you know what I mean? Cause you can do variety, but you also don't want to lose sight of, you know, quality products. How, how have you been able to balance that by doing, you know, when you guys are doing, you know, as you say, 30, 40 different types of beers in a year? Yeah. The one thing is that you never lose sight of quality. And um, uh, so everything has to be a quality product. Uh, but it is just a lot of innovation and a lot of time with product development, with having to do something new. Um and then really the, the biggest thing with that is not lose focus when you're doing a, a small brand or a one-off is not lose focus on, you know, Amber, Purple Haze or Strawberry Lager, Andy Gator, those ones that are our flagship beers and are 85% of our sales. Um, so not lose sight of that and make sure that those are always quality. And uh, that's one thing we want to make sure that our beers, you know, when a customer has it one time, the next time they go and get it, that they have the same experience. That's very important to have a consistent and quality product. And I feel like you all have an interesting philosophy, too, when it when it comes to beers. I know you kind of mentioned you do a lot of, of different ones now, but for, for the most part, it seems like you guys do more loggers and pilsners. And you kind of touched on that with with kind of your location earlier. Is that the philosophy, a little more lager pilsners than, say, the IPAs that you see from a lot of different places these days? Yeah, I mean, and, and when we were founded, uh, you know, we did lagers uh, almost exclusively. And, you know, like Amber and uh, is a, a great, it's just an Amber lager. And it's really a good complement to spicy foods. And uh, really with South, it pairs well with South Louisiana foods. And uh, then our other beers, Purple Haze is a raspberry, you know, we use real raspberries in that and add those in the bright beer tank. But the base of that is a lager. Uh, the same thing with our strawberry beer, uh, which is made with strawberry juice, uh, but it's a lager base. And um, yeah, it's, you know, the climate also, it's, it's hot here. And, uh, and so, you know, people are going to tend towards drinking uh, beers that are very sessionable and quaffable. Um, when it's, you know, 95 degrees and near 100% humidity, you're not going to be, yeah, drinking, you, you, you're not going to want to drink a double IPA. Uh, or <laughs> or a nice uh, heavy stout. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and you, you can enjoy those and, and we do make those. But for us, that was kind of uh, what we wanted to do. So, and, and now we, we do IPAs and we do stouts and we do everything else. But still our, you know, our main thing is consumers are, you know, they're coming to us for loggers. So, uh, so we're going to continue to make them. Well, and like I said, I haven't had a bad one yet. Uh, so you guys are doing really good there. You also touched on, you know, using those flavors from Louisiana, or at least what's kind of around you there. Uh, you got the strawberry lager, you got the uh, pecan ale. How, how are you able to use some of those unique flavors and create uh, really cool beers? Well, with the, the strawberries is, uh, we're just using the strawberry juice. 
So um, that is just mixed in with the, with the lager beer and the natural sweetness and aroma from the strawberry comes through. Uh, but it still tastes like beer. Um, it's, it's not similar to, you know, you have a lot of beers now, especially sours that are almost, it's, it's almost all just fruit juice. Um, uh, this is a regular beer and it has the consistency of flavor of beer and the strawberry juice complements it. Um, and then for the pecan, you know, we're using that and we're adding roasted pecans that are harvested in central Louisiana and we add those to the mash. And then we combine that with the malts that we're using and the hops that'll bring out those and complement those nutty flavors and, and kind of biscuity flavors. Um, so it tastes like pecans. Um, and, uh, you know, that's what we want to do is we want to use locally sourced products. So all of the, the beers that we're do that we've done like that, um, besides some one-offs, you know, anything that we've, uh, distributed widely and have done more than once are all locally sourced um, uh, produce. Well, I was going to say that that was my, my next question. It's a perfect lead in. Uh, how does your location drive those ingredients? Cause I mean, you all even, do you still use spring spring water kind of like, like you did at the beginning with, you know, as the namesake of Abita Springs or, I mean, even to that extent, or is it just still locally more on the ingredient side now? No, no. I mean, all the water is still from, from our wells. So um, it's that, but if we're doing uh, in the past, we've done blueberry beers because blueberries are harvested here. When we've, we've done beers with grapefruit and satsumas, uh, uh, which is a, a mandarin orange that is grown in South Louisiana. Uh, but we do grow a lot, you know, uh, in this area, we, we can grow citrus and we can do different fruits. We've done peaches, but it just always, uh, you know, whenever we're doing something, it's, we're going to make sure that we can get it from Louisiana. If it's something that's not grown in Louisiana, we're just not going to make it part of our harvest series. Um, you know, uh, uh, we can do beers with other fruits, but, um, but we do, uh, we do like to focus on Louisiana produce first. And, and that's where the harvest series comes in. And, and it's amazing to me that, that what started out as a little series has spawned some of your biggest beers. You mentioned the strawberry lager. Uh, how much fun is it to work on, on that series uh, for you as a brewer to, and, and the team to come up with some unique uh, beverages? Well, I mean, it's fun. And, and, you know, strawberry has in the last couple of years gone into uh, or really last year we introduced that as a year-round beer it used to be available only in the spring um, but we ended up uh, making that available all year round last year and um, and then we just moved the pecan beer into our seasonal lineup and uh, because that was still very popular um, so but it's always fun and uh, to use the local products and then when we're, we're doing one-off beers uh, we're always trying to source local products to use those in and then when we have things that are, you know, in our tap room, we have beers that are exclusively only sold in our tap room. At that point, we're using a lot of uh, locally sourced products that are, you know, whatever. We'll do a blueberry sour beer uh, or we'll use something with, with fresh grapefruits when those are harvested. And, and right now is the citrus harvest is, is basically just starting up right now in South Louisiana. And then you guys uh, just released uh, kind of a, a new beer uh, as an annual release. I believe it's the uh, Giacomo Juicy IPA, a double dry hopped IPA. Is that correct? That's correct. Um, so that is our newest flagship beer. 
and it's available in, in six pack cans and in, and a little bit of draft. Draft obviously is uh, is not that big right now with COVID related issues. Um, but yeah, that's a, a juicy IPA and really full of flavor and all that hop juiciness and uh, hazy um, and uh, just similar to what the the market's like. And then what, what's something that, you know, as you've been there for a few years at, at, at Avita, what's, what's something that you've been most proud of uh, during your time there? Uh, just that we're able to grow and, and still be a local and, uh, and independent and small company. And uh, the pride of being from Southeast Louisiana and, um, uh, you know, just working with the community uh, all the time and, and seeing how much people enjoy introducing Abita to their friends and family and to guests uh, who visit from all over the world. And, uh, and then when, if they ever are going out of town and leaving, how they bring that to other people uh, and kind of export our culture and, and, uh, and, and our beer. Well, I think I read something too, where you guys also do, I mean, you're, you're a big part of the community uh, down there in Louisiana and you've done some charitable beers and, and raised over a million dollars. Yeah, we did. Um, uh, after Hurricane Katrina, we uh, released a beer like less than two months after the storm. And uh, we raised over half a million dollars uh, in the two years after that uh, for charities in southeast Louisiana and for people who are affected. And then uh, after the BP oil spill, in 2010, we released a beer called SOS. And uh, again, we raised um, a little over half a million dollars. And uh, that went towards, uh, you know, environmental cleanup and coastal restoration in Louisiana. So and then I mean, those are the two biggest ones that we've done. But, you know, we, we, <laughs> we, uh, a lot of times we say it, we give them give away more beer per year than we made in our first couple of years in uh, uh, in existence now. So, hey, that that's an amazing thing, and it's something that y'all y'all ought to be proud of. And I mean, when you're able to do that, that means you're doing some things right. And not only are you doing beers right, but you guys also do a little bit of soda and some hard seltzer. How does how does that that's work right. in the beer industry with you guys there? <laughs> Well, we've done a root beer since uh, since I've been here. So um, and it's I mean, one of the things is it's, you know, Louisiana, uh, we grow uh, we grow sugar here. And so we use only Louisiana sugar cane and uh, uh, in our root beer. And, you know, it's not high fructose corn syrup or any other artificial sweeteners. It's uh, natural sugar cane. And so we think that gives a much better mouthfeel and flavor. Uh, to our sodas. And we do about 15,000 barrels of root beer per year. And we sell that in, in uh, six pack bottles and in 12 pack cans. And then we also sell a lot of draft beer or root beer. So we do about a thousand kegs a month of root beer. And um, uh, then we also do a seasonal king cake soda, which is part of the Mardi Gras season here. And uh, it basically tastes like you're drinking king cake. Um, and again, made with Louisiana cane sugar. Uh, so that's a big part of our of uh, uh, of our push. And one of the things is, again, we're using locally harvested 
you know, produce. We're using that, uh, Louisiana sugarcane in those products. And then we've just gotten into the hard seltzer business. And the source of that, again, is uh, Louisiana sugar, uh, because the hard seltzers are made with sh sugar that is then fermented into alcohol. Um, and then we have four flavors uh, of that currently. One of them is uh, splashberry, which is a combination of, of strawberry, raspberry, and blueberry. And uh, then we have a watermelon flavor, a mango flavor, and then a citrus flavor, uh, which is a combination of uh, orange, lemon, and grapefruit. So those have just been out for, in the last, you know, uh, uh, two of the brands have been out for about six months. And then uh, we just released a variety pack uh, where you can get all four of them. And we pretty much just released that last month. And that's available for distribution. That's amazing. The, the splashberry sounds wonderful. Just that nice mix, mix of fruit there. There. Uh, my, my last question for you, Mark, is is what's next for uh, Abita and for you all? Well, I mean, we're just going to, I mean, one is, is you know, whether this, uh, this pandemic and hopefully we can get back to where we can have, you know, people can congregate together because that's a big part of, of the community and, and, you know, South Louisiana without festivals and Mardi Gras and, you know, college and professional football and all those things that bring people together. I mean, that's what, that's what, you know, beer is all about and, and is something that can add to celebrations. And we have to get back to where we can actually celebrate with people instead of being separated. Uh, so it's really get back to, get back to normal and, uh, and then continue to grow um, and see where everything takes us. But, you know, we'll continue to innovate and then, you know, pay attention to quality and consistency like we've always done. I love to hear that, and I'm I'm hopeful that 2020 uh, is you know will be the last of this craziness, and 2021 we'll be able to have a little bit more fun, and we can enjoy a few more beers with folks. and And Mark, thank you for for hopping on here and talking to Abita Brewing and beer with me. All right, well, thank you for having me. Uh, thank you again to Mark Wilson, brewmaster of Abita Brewing out of Louisiana. And you can pretty much find them on sh uh, shelves pretty much around the country. They make some great beer, a lot of really good lagers, kind of maybe on the lighter side. But as, as he said, it makes sense. It's hot in Louisiana, and you don't always want to be drinking those heavy beers all year round. And now let's get into the spirit side of things. And joining us here on the Hops and Spirits podcast to talk about cocktails and things you can do at home is Jake Sullick. Beverage Director at West Main Crafting Company in my hometown now of Lexington, Kentucky. Jake, thanks for hopping on. Thanks, Jonathan. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. It's a it's a nice day as, as we're, we're chatting, so I, I can't complain. And I think we might be able to, you know, maybe start going out to places next week. So fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, now, for those that don't know, what does a beverage director do at a cocktail bar? The beverage director is the one that's going to be in charge of the full beverage program. So it's a little bit different than a general manager. A general manager typically handles a little bit of the ordering, but they focus mostly on service and staffing. Beverage director is responsible for putting together a menu, uh, not only the prices, but handling all the ordering and kind of making sure that all of the bar staff is executing up to the same sort of high level that the, that the bar is going after. And now you've been in this industry for about, a, uh, what, a decade now? How, how did you get yeah, into being a, a bartender? Uh, how did you get into this? I joke with people, the, the, the real reason I ended up doing this is because I really disliked being a lawyer. 
I, I got my <laughs> JD 12, 15 years ago, but I really enjoyed whiskey and collecting wine so much that I went from hobbyist to professional and just over course of 10 years, just kind of got to the place where I am now. And do you have any regrets or ever look back and wonder what if? No, no, not, not at all. I'm very passionate about what I do. Um, I, I also like to joke that I drink for a living, which is something that a lot of people can't say. You're a professional drinker, right? Exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, I know you, and you've gotten to do some, some pretty cool things because you've done some James Beard Foundation uh, programs and stuff like that too, right? Yeah, we, we have. We were, we were lucky enough to be one of the few bars that were invited to handle the James Beard Foundation Taste of Kentucky last year, and which was held in Louisville. It was it was really exciting to go to go and be a part of that. And you know when when you kind of got into this, um, had you always loved experimenting with cocktails, or has that kind of grown on you over time? Because I mean, I feel like that's that's kind of a fun sciencey thing to do to to get all the ingredients to act right and have something really drinkable and 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 something people can enjoy. It is the chasing perfection is is what really drove me in the early years i started when the craft cocktail boom was so sort of in its infancy and so people were just trading recipes and ideas on on the old forum the forums on online during the yachts and uh, and a lot of it was making a cocktail enjoying it after work and then saying okay well next time how can i do this better how can i make this taste a little bit different and so just constantly kind of pushing myself to taste and try new things it just kept me really engaged with the craft and now at west maine you guys kind of take a i don't want to say an interesting approach Uh, you take maybe a slightly different approach than others you guys pay homage to the storied past of cocktails but you guys also kind of push the boundaries a little bit and you guys even do uh semi-annual cocktail books Uh, why is that yeah, well, the two two reasons. First of all, the the whole beverage program is themed around nineteenth century style cocktails, and by nineteenth century, I mean we're making all of our ingredients other than the spirits here in house. That allows us to control the flavor. Uh, it allows us to be really consistent with our cocktails, and and on the other hand, we want to be able to execute things to a, a really high level. By doing two different kinds of menus, not only can I pay homage to nineteenth century cocktails, but we can also keep ourselves and the staff really engaged by trying new things. Uh, we will often put a cocktail on. Maybe two years later, we'll come back to it with a fresh set of eyes and say, okay, this cocktail was really good the first time we did it, but how can we do it better? And so by constantly releasing new menus, we can really kind of push ourselves, push our palates. Uh, I, I love that. And you, and that makes it an interesting experience anytime anyone comes back because they're going to get something maybe uh, slightly different or just uh, completely different. Depending exactly. on kind of the, the, the time. And and then for, uh, I enjoyed this one on your on your bio. Uh, in your spare time, you design cocktail bars because you just can't stop working. I, I love that. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do a lot of consulting on the side as well. I like to stay busy. It's a good year for hey, me. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no doubt about that. How how has this year maybe been different for for y'all? Because obviously, there's been times where you haven't been able to have anyone maybe inside and sitting down. You're also, I think, able to do uh, some cocktails to go, which hasn't maybe always been the case in the past. How has this year been for for y'all? It's in one word, it's been challenging. Bars bars are 
and, and restaurants to a large degree are, are designed to be packed full of people, not just for profitability's sake, but just for ambiance. No one ever wants to sit in a bar where you're the only person in there. So the capacity restrictions, it's, it's been really hard financially and, and really hard on, on morale. Well, hopefully, you know, next year will be be better and things will, will maybe get back to nor- a little more normal at, at, at certain points. But one of the reasons I had you on or have you on is so we can talk cocktails, which, as, as we've heard here, you're, you're pretty good at that. And you've got a, a nice big book of things to, to pull out. What are some tips you can give folks that maybe want to make some cocktails at home, uh, you know, for the winter months? I've. For me, holiday cocktails kind of come down to three general categories. When I think holiday cocktails, I think cold weather. So the first thing that springs to mind are hot drinks or heated beverages are always always want to go to. I also think of eggs. Beverages with eggs are kind of a holiday staple. And I think sparkling wine, any kind of champagne cocktails. I, I, I like that. I like that a lot. Now, for those hot ones, or the hotter ones, what, what would be one or two that you would suggest someone maybe give, give a good uh, try at? The classic hot drink that's still popular two, three hundred years after it was created is the hot toddy, or otherwise known as the hot whiskey toddy. It's a really simple concoction, just a teaspoon or two of sugar, one and a half to two ounces of base spirit, just depending on how much you want to feel that alcoholic kick and then you top it up with hot water. You wanna keep a smaller glass on this, just an eight ounce coffee mug at home will work fine. The template's really forgiving because instead of just regular sugar, you could use a little bit of cinnamon sugar or you could use a richer molasses-based demerara sugar to add some more flavor. You've got a lemon or orange on hand, you can peel a little bit off of the skin, drop it in, it'll flavor the hot water with, with citrus. So it's an easy template, and it's very forgiving and easy to make at home. Historically, one of the most famous and popular riffs on the hot whiskey toddy is something called an apple toddy. Hmm. And if you've got a couple fall Adam or excuse me apples on hand, you take those, stud them with cloves, or maybe shove a cinnamon stick in it, and just bake it in the oven for twenty to thirty minutes. Take it out, cut it into four sections. Put each of the four sections in a glass, kind of muddle it up, add some sugar and whiskey and top it up with hot water. And you've got a baked apple toddy. Uh, I mean, it's a stone cold classic from the 1700s. It's a really great drink. I, I love that one. That that sounds like I've, I honestly I've heard of the hot toddy. My, my Mimi uh, has been drinking those, I, I swear, for years uh, since I, I, I married into the family, <laughs> into the family. But I hadn't ever heard of the, the baked apple one. And, uh, and it, it's from how long ago again? Yeah, it goes. The history goes all the way back to the 1700s. That, that's amazing. And it's kind of neat to bring some of those older drinks back that never really go. You know, they don't really uh, they age very well, so to speak. Exactly. And as long as you stick to that basic template, you can make it with things that you normally have in your pantry. You don't need a lot of fancy ingredients to make it. And then you, you kind of touched on this as well. Eggs, uh, maybe eggnog, something like that. A lot of people will, will try to do some, some drinks around that. What would be maybe one or two good ideas in that realm? We make eggnog at the bar every year. It's one of my favorite things to do. Eggnog's pretty shelf stable so you can make a large batch of it 
you can have some left over and, and it's still perfectly drinkable. Uh, for me, eggnog's a pretty simple format. You're just taking whole eggs, kind of frothing them and mixing them up with sugar, milk, heavy cream, and any kind of spirit of your choice, whether it's bourbon, brandy, cognac, or even rum. Uh, for me, the key is the key is what to do with the sugar. Uh, again, rather than just using a quarter to half an ounce of just regular sugar or simple syrup, you can mix it in by adding some allspice or some cinnamon syrup. It goes a long way. And then um, you, you kind of touched on eggs as well. Is there any that you're maybe throwing in an egg or, or something like that? The classic eggnog is really easy to make. Uh, you, you see it a lot reprinted in magazines in large batches, but it's actually easy to just make a single serve eggnog at home. Anybody can try it. Just take a single egg out of your refrigerator, crack the, the whole thing into a shaker tin, put in about half an ounce of sugar syrup, one and a half ounce of just half and half, for example, and then two ounces of a base spirit. Don't put any ice in, just Shake it as hard as you can. This is called a dry shake. It'll allow the egg to emulsify. That emulsification will make the egg come apart. It'll disperse in the liquid. It'll get really fluffy. Go ahead, open the tin up, put the ice back in, shake it till it's cold, and then you can just strain it right into a glass, and you've got a perfect single-serve single eggnog. All it really needs at that point is just dust some nutmeg or cinnamon on top, and you're good to go. Uh, I love that. I love uh, it just also kind of how simple some of these are and the fact that I I feel conf confident I might be able to pull this off at my house. <laughs> exactly. You'll you'll go to a, a cocktail bar and you, you might see one that's made with different ingredients that you don't have in-house. They might have an all-spice liqueur, for example, but it's really easy to, to make all of this stuff with things you have in your pantry. And, and then the last kind of ones that you, you mentioned were the sparkling, you know, maybe uh, some wine, something like that. What are some fun cocktails? I feel like that to me is a little more maybe around the New Year's time that you'd want to be be uh, opening up some something a little more on the sparkling side. What what are some good ones there? Champagne's a great holiday addition. Uh, we often joke at the bar that everything tastes better with a little bit of champagne. Uh, a good classic 19th century trick is to simply add a splash of champagne to any cocktail. You'd be amazing even if you really enjoy having Manhattans at home. If you strain a Manhattan into a glass and add about half an ounce of bubbly on top, it really adds a lot of depth and nuance to it. It's an easy way to fancify a cocktail at home. But for me, one of the all-time favorites is just a simple champagne cocktail. All you've got to do, if you've got sugar cubes at home, you can drop a sugar cube into a glass. Otherwise, just put about a teaspoon of sugar or sugar syrup. Add a couple of dashes of bitters. doesn't really matter what kind. I think most people, if you've got bitters at home, it's probably an Angostura or an orange bitter. And then top it up with sparkling wine. And that's really all that there is to the classic champagne cocktail. If you want to add some depth to it, you can put a little bit of a spirit in there. Classically, sometimes you'll see half an ounce of a cognac or a brandy. But I think here in, in the bluegrass, we'd like to add probably half an ounce to a full ounce of bourbon. It'll kind of raise the ABV a little bit, give the drink a little bit more heft, but it'll still be three or four ounces of sparkling wine. It's something that you can make at home, you can make for your friends uh, pretty easily. I, I love that. And that, that again, uh, the, the theme is uh, simple 
uh, but but very good. And and I, I love those styles because like like you said, anyone can kind of make those at home. Now say, you know, you're being smart. You're doing a very nice socially distance uh, gathering with some family. Um, what's maybe a large batch one that or one that can make a larger batch uh, that folks can can share? As far as large batch cocktails, I think, you know, if we go back to the eggnog that we were talking about earlier, one of the most famous eggnogs isn't served cold, it's served hot, and that's the Tom and Jerry. At this point, the the name's pretty famous, but I don't know if everybody has had it before. Tom and Jerry is basically brandy, bourbon, or rum, a little bit of cream and dairy. Uh, with uh, Tom and Jerry batter. So basically what you do to make a a big batch, you take about 12 eggs or so, separate the whites from the yolks, beat the whites or froth them using a a blender that you might have at home until they're nice and stiff. Uh, Mix the yolks with a pound or two of sugar, uh, preferably something like a a cane or a turbinado sugar. You can add some spices at this point if you want to add some ground cinnamon or nutmeg or clove. You mix that all into uh, a batter, fold in the egg whites. The egg whites are going to make it nice and and fluffy and stiff. And and this batter can now be used to service probably 12 to 16 Tom and Jerry's uh, for, you know, a small group of friends that you might have over. So all you've got to do is take something as simple as just a tiny little coffee cup, put in an ounce or two of spirit, put in some warm milk, and then just a, a spoon scoop of that batter, let it dissolve, and dust it with some nutmeg or cinnamon. And now you've got a, a hot egg drink, uh, the classic Tom and Jerry. You can even put this, make this all at once rather than do it as a single serve and actually just serve it in a, in a small punch bowl. That, that's amazing. And I honestly had never heard of a, of a Tom and Jerry, which I don't know how. It's a, it's a drink that has fell out of fashion probably by the 1940s or 50s. But its, its history goes all the way back to the 1830s. There was a time, and there are so, some small isolated parts of the country where Tom and Jerry is still required drinking at, at Christmas time. But yeah, it's, it's a great um, sort of large gathering favorite in some parts of the Midwest still. Just a, a, a large format warmed up eggnog. Uh, I love that. And, and Jake, these are, are some really great uh, recipes for, for folks to give a try during the holidays here and, and even into the winter months. Is there anything that folks need to watch out and maybe try to avoid as to not, you know, go too crazy? Uh, the only thing that I would avoid is, particularly with, with egg drinks, uh, they're actually really safe to make. A lot of people are get worried about using eggs, but the, the alcohol is actually going to make them safe. I, I would avoid buying a lot of the pre-made eggnogs and eggnog batters that you find on liquor store shelves. Not that there's anything wrong with them or anything dangerous with them, but you know, as we talked about today, it's so easy to make these things in your kitchen. Uh, I, I think that you could you do you do yourself a service and your friends a service if you just avoid the store bought ones and just whip them up at home. It, it takes five to ten minutes to make these drinks. And then is there anything that maybe might be uh, a good little uh, addition to have at the home bar uh, when trying to do some, some cocktails? Absolutely. It, buy whole nutmeg. Uh, a lot of times if people in their pantries, they'll have pre-ground 
nutmeg. But if you go to almost any grocery store right next to the pre-ground stuff, you'll find a bottle of whole nutmegs. And those are what you need to really take home cocktailing to the next level. Classic holiday drinks in particular almost always are garnished with fresh nutmeg. And fresh nutmeg versus pre-dried nutmeg is a completely different experience. It's a whole nother depth of flavor to that. So you want to buy the little jars of whole nutmegs and then get yourself a tiny microplane to great nutmeg. I think they're probably between $5 and $10 uh, if you go to a place like Amazon. And you'll be able to buy one of those and then just really neatly shave off some nutmeg right over top of a drink after you're done making it. I think it's a, a really good investment. It'll take your, your cocktails to the next level. Well, Jake, this is some, some great advice. And to me, like, I, like I've been saying all along, easy recipes that folks can give a try at home. Uh, you're going to look like you're a professional because the, these are not, to, to me, kind of the uh, traditional ones you always hear about. So I, I really love the advice you've been able to give. Oh, thanks so much, Jonathan. Now, is there anything else that people need to just uh, think about for the holidays? I think it goes it goes without saying, but uh, a, a lot of holiday cocktails, whether they're champagne-based or egg-based, they tend to go down really easily. Um, they're not like your, your, your standard Manhattan or old-fashioned formats, so or particularly with egg drinks, they're so rich and heavy. Uh, I think that it, they're, they're the leading cause of over-imbibing during the holidays, uh, especially you know at a time when we have to be really careful about social distancing. The, the one thing you'll, you'll want to watch with these drinks is they can handle a lot of alcohol, and so it's really easy to drink too much with these. So you'll want to go ahead and either keep, a, keep an even hand on pouring these or uh, be careful not to over-serve any friends or family. Uh, that is that is great advice no matter what the time of year is and jake i really appreciate you taking some some time to hop on here and and talk some cocktails for the holidays thanks so much jonathan it's been a pleasure thanks again to jake solick beverage director of west main crafting company in lexington kentucky they do a lot of really cool cocktails if you're ever in the area uh hopefully maybe when uh, covid and the crazy times have settled down you need to try them uh, check them out. They are doing some really cool things, as I said. And also thank you to Mark Wilson, brewmaster of Abita Brewing down in Louisiana, which is pretty much available nationwide and a beer worth to try. Uh, they do a lot of cool flavors with their ingredients uh, from that region, including their strawberry lager, which is wonderful. Remember, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Hop Spirits, all one word. There you can keep up with our reviews from uh, the spirit side, the beer side, and also some fun giveaways and other shenanigans. And you can also get the link to our uh, how you find all of our uh, past episodes because we got a lot of good ones where you can learn a lot of great things. And don't forget to check out our friends at One Sip Beer Review. You can find them on Instagram at One Sip Beer Review. Until next time, cheers, everyone.